0: Hi, this is Larry Pasca, Executive Director of NCSS, the National Council for the Social Studies. This episode features an author published in an NCSS journal. Please enjoy. You're listening to Visions of Education, a podcast where we take a look at big ideas in education from different perspectives. Hi, I'm Michael Milton, a high school teacher from Massachusetts. And I'm Dan Kretka, an education professor in Texas. We're here to help bridge the gap between educators in the K-12, and those professors in higher ed. We hope this podcast will help bring those fuzzy ideas in education into focus.
1: I believe that children of
0: the future, teach them well and, and, and let them lead the way. I feel like that's a 70s song. It's from the 70s. I about 60s, 70s.
1: I think it's from the 80s, actually. Oh,
0: yeah. Yeah, that's a good motto. I mean, where are you going with this, Michael? I mean, we should teach the children. I agree.
1: (laughs) Sure. Teach them well, right? Oh, okay.
0: That is an actually really important qualifier, right? Like, it's not just about teaching them. Like, we have to have, you know, quality teaching, quality pedagogy, you know, probably good content. Sure. Well, I was actually thinking, like,
1: like, if you think of, like, the well of knowledge, right, there's only so much you can get up in your buckets. And so what are you putting in it? Like, so teach them from the well, <laughs> I guess is what I'm saying. Like, what is going to be in there? What's going to be in that your bucket this time?
0: Yeah, I feel like that does remind me of like filling kids brains with knowledge. Yeah, which is kind of like a like that the kids are blank slates and we're just filling mm-hmm. them with the, the like blank. the
1: head pops off and you just kind of dump in. Here's right, a little bit of mathematics right. and kind of ignoring who bit. they
0: are, what they bring to our class and But, yeah, I get you. I I still like it. Teach well of the well of knowledge. I'm with you. (laughs) No, but
1: I was thinking, I guess, you know, there's a big push for for civics right now. Mm -hmm. And I know that you have a – you want to talk a little bit about the lack of civics or what you've seen in your uh, experience.
0: Well, I think you and I are in a weird position because we are so involved in the social studies world, right? I mean, I teach social studies methods classes. I've been a social studies teacher. I was for four years, a government teacher. So like in my world, there's a lot of citizenship and civic stuff happening constantly. That's all I do. But I hear on the news that there's civics isn't happening anymore. And in the places where I've worked, it still is right. There's still government classes in high school and I think a lot of the even like history curriculum allows for a lot of civics work, right? Because it focuses so much on constitutional issues which are related. Hopefully teachers are able sure. to make make those meaningful connections. You know, it can be taught poorly. It doesn't is not always taught from the well of knowledge well. But you know, like to me, I I guess I'm curious how how is social studies disappearing? And I also want to be careful about, you know, we tend to just say things are happening and like everyone learned civics in the past and no one's learning it now and i'm always like is that true i'm going to need some like more evidence so in ma- like my school we don't
1: have a government class what um, yeah no we don't uh, it would be great actually there there's new Massachusetts frameworks that does call for an optional semester course for the senior year but my school doesn't have a requirement for a, a another half year of of social studies and so yeah, I don't. I don't think that will will happen. We do try to like through our U.S. curriculum, we do try to bring in civics, but it's not like it's a, a standalone course.
0: Yeah, I mean, and ideally, you can fuse in topics to courses, right? But I've typically found that when you, we say we're going to fuse something into courses, like it doesn't happen. Like it requires a lot of energy and intentionality to actually make that happen.
1: Yeah, I would definitely say that civics, because of our our setup, has kind of taken the back burner. The Massachusetts has put like a service service project requirement that they do, students do, and we're going to be doing in our sophomore year, have to advocate for something or they can choose to advocate Mm -hmm. for something. That's going to be kind of like woven into like what participatory democracy and It's a student design project. It's really neat in concept, and I I can't wait to see what that's going to look like. And we're going to be doing that in the sophomore year, which is our, right now, it's where we teach modern U.S. history, Mm -hmm. Uh, although in a couple of years, it's going to be going away.
0: That sounds like a cool opportunity. I think I did my dissertation on teaching government to high school students, and one of the things I found is just, and I've mentioned this before, just that, you know, like, A lot of the topics are very detail-oriented and political in ways that high school students just don't completely connect with yet. And so I just thought we needed some middle ground where they were doing work in the community, which I think is really interesting. But I think that, you know, we have to think really hard about what that looks like and ensure... That, you know, it's it's not just kind of repeating things they already know, but really engaging them in new ways and challenging their thinking and justice oriented. And so that's that's interesting. I, I find that fascinating. So let me ask you, do your students, do they not have the option of AP government? I'm just kind of curious. I would think parents would be like, hey, how come my kids can't take AP government?
1: Yeah. So that's, I, w- I dream of teaching an AP government course. But yeah, it's not something we offer. It's not something that it seems like we're going to be offering. It is, again, I would, I would love, I've asked if I can do it, but I've been told that uh, no.
0: <laughs> well, so I so I think this all speaks to issues around, you know, these are all political issues. The social studies is a political issue in and of itself, right? That we have to potentially advocate for certain courses to be in schools, for social studies to be included at different grade levels, for, you know, the social studies to have some kind of place in our in our schools and curriculum because i see so much pushing behind stem you know stem stuff which is like well then you have Mm. people who can engineer stuff but um you know don't have the kind of historical and and you know ethical knowledges that may be required to make sure they don't mess up the world mark zuckerberg I wish you was steampunk. Wouldn't that be fun if that was like the acronym? Well, some like, people cool. some people just keep adding ac- add letters to it until they have every all the subjects in. Then it's just integrated learning, right? Like steamers, oh, like steamers, chronic, or
1: it's like a big well. Yeah, yeah. Well, or
0: buckets. so we have a fantastic guest. I think we should invite in who probably is about as involved in the social studies world as you can be right now. Ooh. So let's bring into the podcast NCSS president, Tina Hefner.
2: What? Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Michael. What a pleasure to be able to join you on Visions of Education. It's It's, a pleasure to have you here. I would say I traveled all the way from Washington, D.C. to come join you, but I guess that's really not true. That's the advantage of having technology to be able to Skype in.
1: (laughs) That's true.
0: Right now we are in three places. Yes so dr hefner can you tell us a little bit about your background in education
2: i would be happy to i actually always wanted to be a teacher and i never could figure out what grade level i wanted to teach i couldn't decide if i wanted to teach elementary school middle school or high school i just knew i wanted to teach and so i went to wake forest for my undergraduate education and met some amazing people i actually always thought i was going to major in mathematics. Uh, which I, I do have a degree in math, but I thought that's what I would teach. And instead I met a professor named John Litcher. And he convinced me that the social studies were by far the best subject I could ever pursue. And he was right. Uh, So I got my degree uh, in both math and social studies. But I never mentioned that I can teach math so that I could get the job in social studies, because when I graduated, jobs were hard to come by. And I taught in public school for uh, several years. Uh, I actually left the classroom after eight years and went back to pursue my master's. Uh, And I thought I would actually go back into the classroom because I took a leave of absence. I got my master's from Wake in history uh, and in education and then decided, well, I, I enjoyed teaching at the college level and there was a job actually at Wake. So I stayed on and worked there for a couple years and enjoyed higher education teaching and then pursued my doctorate uh, where I uh, completed a degree in curriculum and instruction from the University of North Carolina at Greensboro. So that's how i entered into education and sort of my path i found my way into social studies and i've been a, a passionate social studies educator for 28 years now and i thoroughly enjoy working with social studies uh, teachers and k-12 classrooms and i've taught elementary middle and high school methods and i've worked with teachers in all grade levels and i also work with master's students mostly now and doctoral students uh, i currently Direct our PhD in curriculum instruction and urban education.
0: You are a North Carolinian through and through. You've been you I, got degrees from two universities, and then you teach at the at uh, the University of North Carolina at Charlotte.
2: I do. That's correct. Yes, I stayed in the state of North Carolina. I've contemplated on many occasions, uh, and even sought opportunities outside of the state, but somehow North Carolina. Keeps calling me home, and I keep staying here. I, and I also, you know, I'm so vested in the state now that I have a real intimate knowledge of what's what elementary school and middle and high school social studies teachers deal with so, and what they're facing in, in the state of North Carolina. And it's it makes a lot of sense to stay where I am because there's a lot of challenges in North Carolina and teaching. It has not been an easy place over the years to be an educator. Well, particularly in a field that's often considered to be fourth on the list I, mm-hmm. I was at ETS doing some work with them a week ago and it was interesting because even ETS says well whenever there's any revisions for the practice social studies is always going to be last
0: mm-hmm. which is a very interesting topic to discuss why is social studies last and what do we prioritize in our schools but I do understand your you know your kind of desire and To stay in North Carolina where you have such an intimate knowledge, because that's one of the challenges I think our education system poses is that because, you know, education was not mentioned in the Constitution, the 10th Amendment. And so we have quite a variety of education systems and I didn't know people didn't have government. I thought everyone had government in high school. And so it's so difficult when you go to a new place because you you just have to learn everything new again, whereas so many other countries have a national curriculum.
2: Now, it's interesting you mentioned that about the Constitution. There are many states constitutions, however, that actually call out education. And so the the question around education, even though the Constitution doesn't specifically state uh, a place or who controls education other than leaving that to the rights of the states and to the people, the expectation for civic preparation is still there and it's still present. Of all the subject areas, it's the one area that can make a claim to the, the rights of, of all people in their preparation for the, the job of citizen is social studies uh, is certainly something that they need to have access to in their education. And in many states, that's what we're starting to see. Uh, we have a case in Rhode Island with Michael Rebel, who's leading the charge behind the effort to question and challenge the state constitutional right. And even to the level of potentially the constitutional right for having so access to a high-quality civics education, because that's one of the fundamental expectations for being a prepared citizen. Is this a a classroom teacher? No, Michael Rebel is a higher education professor, and I don't know if you've read his book, but his book on flunking democracy, schools, courts, and civic preparation, what he does is he lays out a very sound case arguing why civics is a fundamental right of all citizens. And the fact that there are states, and in in the case of Rhode Island, it's not something that every student has access to. Uh, So where a student goes to school is dependent upon whether or not they have access to to civics. I mean, I know you, Dan, you said in your case that you have access and you're well-versed and deeply involved in civics education. And we often see that at the high school level, but that's not necessarily the case at the middle school level. There's very few states that have that requirement. And we also know that just at the elementary school level, access to civics is something that's rare uh, and, again, just dependent upon where a student goes to school. But Michael is a a lawyer by training, and he actually spoke in Austin. He was one of the uh, the speakers that I specifically invited because of the pertinent nature of the work that he's doing to the work that we're doing as social studies educators.
1: Do you mind talking a little bit about your role at NCSS as
2: the president? Well, it's a bigger job than I ever thought. I was very excited to be involved in service and have always been involved in service at some level. I actually started with the North Carolina Council for the Social Studies and worked through the various different roles in our board and also through our professors of social studies education. And it was through that work that I had a glimpse and of an understanding of how important a national council is. And I started serving on committees. Uh, I actually served on the citizenship committee many years ago, and the technology committee on NCSS. And I've had some role in some committee or on some task force, or s- some various form through NCSS for most of my career because I feel that it's important as a professional educator, that being involved in my professional organization is the best way to have a good pulse on the field to understand what's happening, not just in my state, but across the country. Um, but as NCSS president, I ran because I wanted to have um, the opportunity to serve, but I was also concerned, concerned about what was happening with, with social studies, and I wanted to be able to help potentially lead the organization in a direction that I felt was needed. Uh, I think the work that Paul Fitchett and I have done together over many years, for over a decade now, looking at the marginalization of social studies, I was very concerned with some of the strategic decisions that NCSS had made uh, in scaling back on their advocacy efforts uh, and even releasing their lobbyists. And so I felt that that was critical to, to be a part of it. So as you know, my role in NCSS president, we have been really have been involved in some of the more recent changes that we've made, such as the new mission and vision statement that we have. And our, our new uh, vision statement is a world in which all students are educated and inspired for lifelong inquiry and informed action. And our mission statement is the the mission of the National Council for the Social Studies is, and I want to emphasize this, to advocate First and foremost, that's our first action that we, we call out, and then to build capacity for high quality social studies by providing leadership services support to, and support to educators. So at NCSS, it, the office of president is very overwhelming. Not only do you have the responsibility of serving as chair of the planning committee for the annual conference, which I had the privilege of working with uh, my co-chair Cynthia Salinas at UT Austin, in planning the the 99th annual conference that we hosted last November in Austin, Texas. But you also have the responsibility to set the strategic priorities of the organization to work with the board to create strategic decision making. How do we utilize and distribute the resources that we have? And we have very scarce resources for a professional organization that has served over 30,000 educators across the country. We have a very small budget and we have a very small staff and there's a lot of expectations of what we should do, uh, at least what people, members want from us, that we are constrained. And so we have to make some tough choices about how to utilize those resources and set the priorities that we feel are most representative of the members that we serve. And we also have to have, I mean, we a voice. We have to be the voice of the field of social studies and social studies education. So I find in my role as president that I am asked for interviews. Uh, I actually just had an interview with CBS this morning, review curriculum frequently. I was asked to review on behalf of NCSS some curriculum on climate change, and without disclosing the actual company that developed the materials, what the media interest was, was what happens when school districts require teachers to teach curriculum, and the curriculum is politically charged and biased in a singular perspective. Obviously, this curriculum was designed for the sole purpose of raising skepticism, skepticism about anyone who claims that climate change exists. And the reason why it was asked within the social studies is the expectation is, well, how would NCSS take a stance? And how would we argue that teachers should be able to vet curriculum uh, without having to teach curriculum that may not actually be fully accurate or may only be accurate of a single point of view and not accurate of a more complex and layered issue such as climate change?
0: So not only skeptical skeptical of climate change, but all the people who profess belief in it. dang it. Skeptical of Dan too. We just had mm-hmm. an e- We just had an episode on climate change just two up ep- uh, just a few episodes ago that was really helpful to us. Well, it, you know, in the history of NCSS is very interesting. I have found you know it, so it's uh, the organization's about a hundred years old now right? So founded yeah. in 1921. So this is after a lot of these early committees. And, and this is shortly after like the 1916 committees, five years after, that okay. I think had a big influence on the early social studies that we were actually supposed to have classes that were responsive to the world. That was kind of the goal. And there's this kind of struggle between what was seen as traditional curriculum, which was like learn your facts and history and geography uh-huh. and other subjects. And then this kind of more, uh, this approach that really had, was more interested in in students' background knowledge and how that would. Now, of course, that was also framed within a very white world, right, at the time, because you had a lot of um, black educators, for example, at the same time who were having to basically create their own textbooks and curriculum um, in segregated schools that addressed their own histories. But NCSS has been through a lot. And so it's like many other subject areas that has the that has these organizations. But like we've talked about, it can often be on the back burner. So recently for social education, you wrote an article titled advocacy for social studies, the need to respond to the updated NAEP schedule. And you've been publishing a lot over your career and are very prolific. But thank you for doing this very specific work around the field. So congrats on your publication.
2: Thank you, Dan. I actually was very passionate on uh, social education, but when we National Assessment Governing Board officially announced the changes to the NAEP schedule on Wednesday, July 24th, uh, 2019, none of the professional organizations that were impacted by the cuts that the National Assessment Governing Board, and I'm gonna to refer to them as NAGBI, just for short reference from henceforth, no one knew we were actually completely taken by surprise. And Larry Pasca, executive director, was actually in attendance at the the press release. And he was interviewed in advance of this without knowing what the changes were going to be. And the changes are really significant for social studies in particular. And the more I I dug into the potential meaning, the more I talked with policymakers. And when I speak of policymakers, I'm of the individuals who are in charge of curriculum, like our CS4 organization that our state social studies specialist, they're heavily involved in the development of curriculum. And everyone references the low NAPE scores as a basis for why we need action, why we need to increase the teaching of civics. So NAEP is foundational for policy recommendations because it is the only nationally representative sample of student learning outcomes in the social studies. And when NAGBI made the decision to cut economics and geography testing, in essence, they splintered our field. They splintered social studies because social studies is not just civics or US history. It is the composite of civics, history, economics, geography, and the social sciences uh, and the arts. And the arts were actually cut from the testing too and foreign language was eliminated. And on top of that, they extended the date for the, the, re, um, the redesign of the civics in U.S. history will not be the new conceptual frameworks will not be introduced until 2029. That's a whole generation oh, wow. of children that are not, we will have no data. They will not be assessed. We will have no understanding of what kind of civics education they'll have. Because as you were saying in your intro, Dan, it's not just access to civics it's access to a quality civics education. And we know, at least from the work that has been published on NAEP and the work that Paul and uh, Rich Lambert and I have done together, we've examined some of the the major inequities of the opportunities that students have, particularly in uh, U.S. history in grades four, eight, and 12. So the NAEP uh, the response to the NAEP uh, uh, scheduling is something that we felt, and I felt very strongly, and we, the board is who I'm representing here, that we needed to take a stance and we need to educate our members about what's happening and how it's going to affect us. And each of the individual de- decisions, and there were five of them in particular that had ramifications for the field of social studies. And so we shared out this statement and I offered a little bit more information in the article to give the context in the background. But I want to emphasize that the work is not done because actually I was just on a conference call this past Thursday, um, meeting with NAGB along with many other organizations of the Council for Economics Education. We had geography professional organizations represented. We also had foreign language, ACTFL was there. We had music and art represented. And we were meeting to ask why were these cuts made? And the legislation, quite frankly, it only includes legislation that gives the mandate for the forming of the National Assessment Government Board only requires testing in mathematics and reading and language arts. So the, the literacy skills and the math skills are really the only thing that NAEP is required by congressional mandate to address. And that's where I think, you know, as far as advocacy is concerned, we're actually having our follow-up meeting this week to talk about, well, what's going to happen next now that we understand the context that NAGME made their decision. We all have been hurt greatly by the potential reduction of data for us to be able to advocate for our fields and our content areas. And also just the quality, well-rounded education that we know children will not have access to when there's only two policy initiatives protected. And that's the question of, well, why have we not in our reauthorization of that legislation been stronger advocates asking for the inclusion of civics, of US history, of economics, of geography? I even proposed the question of, why do we not have an interdisciplinary assessment? Social studies by nature is interdisciplinary. So an interdisciplinary assessment might be a more effective measure of the types of learning that students are exposed to in the social studies, especially when we think of grades four, eight, and 12 as a cumulative measure of students' overall exposure to education and schooling.
0: There is some irony that social studies educators aren't doing a good job of civic action for our profession, huh? <laughs> and, you know, it, I actually would say that part of that potentially is, and, and I know that when I say that, I know that there are many people really working hard. And, and you know, you don't think of it as a social studies teacher. I need to go out and do political action to keep teaching my stuff. But um, it does bring forth about how you make change, which is, one I think, one of the big questions we've had in our podcast and among other social studies educators. And for, for who, right? I mean, because the traditional form of making change in government works in some cases for some groups and not in others. So it's really interesting to think about this question about what would social studies advocacy be like? And we should be able to figure out that answer.
2: That's interesting because when the board adopted this vocabulary and language of advocacy and we put it in our mission statement because priorities set in our mission statement are priorities that have to have funding as our organization. So by doing that, we were very strategic and assuring that when NCSS designs our next budget in the subsequent year, there will be funding for advocacy. But ironically, Dan, you know, as a board, when we conceptualize advocacy, we understand advocacy but yet we can't coalesce around a single definition of what is advocacy in the social studies. And so what I have been struggling with in this particular year in my presidency is understanding the ways that NCSS is already advocating for social studies and then trying to build upon those actions, such as our position statement on NAEP, uh, our position statement on LGBT plus uh, curriculum, Uh, Our recent position statement in which we signed on to opposition to ban books because of of singling out the xenophobic actions, particularly toward LGBTQ plus communities Uh, and We have to take stances. So taking stance on issues, that's advocacy. But advocacy for teachers is also part of our responsibility. How do we empower teachers in the elementary school classroom to make a case for teaching social studies when they're told that social studies is the redheaded stepchild of the curriculum, as many of the teachers have expressed in the you know, Not only is it jo- an elementary school teacher's job to teach their curriculum, but often they're fighting for the advocacy of social studies, to have access to that in their classroom. And some of my own work uh, has revealed you know, that somewhat of a sad state of affairs that elementary school teachers are asked to encounter. I mean, even in our field, we talk about ambitious teachers, ambitious teaching. I mean, these are the people who push against the grain, but they have to have that capacity to advocate to be able to do that. So we actually have a task force that that we as a board created this year, and this was part of my three initiatives, was to create a task force to define how do we want to prioritize advocacy actions for the field? What are the most essential things that we do? We recognize in particular that this role within policy at the state level, at the national level, these are things that we need to be doing. We're grappling with, should we not be looking at the possibility of a seal of social studies and civic readiness? I mean, New York actually is going to be rolling out a new seal, uh, seal for civic readiness. And that's a model for us to understand, what if every state had that? Would we be able to then make the case that all students would have to have access? to a high quality social studies education to be able to gauge in the, in types of informed actions and there's in civil society and their civic uh, spaces in which they live, and they would have to have the type of education we all purport and we believe in. I
0: propose Michael gets a social studies tattoo of accomplishment and competency. That's, that's my proposal. <laughs>
1: there <we> go. <laughs> what can our audience, what can classroom teachers do? What would you like us to do?
2: Well, it depends on where you are, because it's amazing what you can do. So let me tell you about two stories, and actually I'll share three. So I'm going to start first with California. So a few years ago, I had the opportunity to work for NCSS on the Gates Foundation grant on the C3 Literacy Collaborative Project, and there were a group of elementary school teachers that I worked with in the state of California. And Glendoria County. And what they did is they were elementary school teachers and they wanted to understand inquiry. So they engaged in the inquiry process themselves so they could develop a deeper understanding of it. And Kathy Marston is, is an individual in particular that I just uphold as one of the most fabulous elementary school teachers I've ever worked with. But she struggled herself and when she figured out and became to understand what inquiry meant to her then she felt like she could teach inquiry and what she realized in this process is by developing her inquiry around what does it mean to learn social studies what is social studies define it in from a mindset of civics from economics from the geographers lens from historian lens and and explaining that to her primary grades students she began to understand how social studies needed to be at the center of her curriculum. And so she and this group of elementary school teachers have been a strong cohort for pushing and advocating for the teaching of social studies in their schools. They don't all work in the same school. They work in the same district across the district. They've made huge initiatives, but not only have they advocated, but they've been able to show here's how you do it because we have done it. And so they built a model from and built it outward in developing curriculum where they centered social studies. And then they developed their literacy and their science. And and actually, they have a wonderful geography uh, unit that they taught uh, that really does, I think, a fabulous job of even weaving in mathematics within the curriculum. So being a model for what social studies can be, advocating for it. But it's not enough just to say you need social studies. You need to show how it has to be done. So let's go to a a second story. So Mary Ellen Daniels. Mary Ellen Daniels is is actually a former NCSS board of directors, but Mary Ellen was part of the C3LC project too. And there's some early work that she started doing of, you know, we need to have more social studies. But then she realized social studies wasn't even in the curriculum. And so she started figuring out what she and other teachers, and she's a high school teacher, what could they do to get social studies recognized? And then it became a larger group of teachers talking with legislators. And so they found friends on a bipartisan partnership to be able to create a mandate by law that there is social studies with civics in particular has been her focus and all in K-12 curriculum. So they rewrote that they were part of the initiative to rewrite the Illinois standards they also pushed for legislation to mandate that there is a graduation requirement in civics at the high school level. And her hashtag civics is back uh, has been a major push for a statewide initiative. She has been part of statewide public uh, professional development for teachers. And now they're they're pushing for civics at the middle or civics in the middle, I think it's her, her slogan now. So teaching civics at the middle school level. And having a mandate for legislation that it's required at the civics level because she realized that it wasn't going to happen. And many of her colleagues realized it too, that the consistency and of sustainability of teaching can't rely so of a, of a subject area, can't rely solely on the teachers who are passionate about it. It has to be within the policy too. And that was her initiative. Steve Macedo has been instrumental in the state of Florida not only did he work uh, with the state to build legis- uh, to establish legislation for their uh, middle school civics project and that's actually uh, in my opinion a really excellent example for creating an inquiry-based type of curriculum and community engagement project project, because it does have components of service learning that are integrated and woven in it. He's also working with the Florida Council for the Social Studies on creating legislation. It hasn't passed yet, but they're not giving up to have a civics requirement for graduation at the high school level too. So they're trying to mirror the work that they've done. But So what can teachers do? Teachers can lead from the ground up. They can be models in their communities, they can be models within their schools, and they can be advocates to make social studies, something that you can't ignore and something that you absolutely have to teach.
0: I like it, I like it. I feel like I'm making this case every day to my students because I'm in the same boat, right? They're elementary social studies, they're elementary majors and they're in their social studies methods. And a lot of them aren't seeing as much social studies in the field. Some of them do. But I'm, I'm often making like a case why they need to be advocates for it in their school and also the di- diverse forms in which it takes. Right. A lot of times we we, you know, we're discussing today and our next class, we're discussing disability rights as a social studies topic. Right. And the ways uh-huh. that you can learn engagement around that in your school and thinking about what would it make be to have universal design in our school. But understanding the legacy and history of disability activists that goes back that fought for laws like IDEA and ADA is like such a critical work. And so sometimes we just need to look in our environments and see that that history and geography and civics, it's everywhere, right? It's all around us. But we also need the curriculum in a place. So anyway, thank you for all of the work that you've been doing, um, Dr. Hefner. I mean, it's, it's really important and this is a critical time for civics education and social studies education.
2: It really is. And, and then I would like to draw your attention to the presidential address that I actually just published in social education. You know, at the very end of that, and this is to your point, Dan, I offered five recommendations of, you know, where I think we need to be going with social studies, because our, our legacy practices in the social studies have created a context in which we're very comfortable and somewhat complacent, not only in the methods and how we choose to teach social studies, but the content that we choose. And any passionate social studies educator really has to question, you know, what does social studies need to be today? And it really does have to change. The ecology of our schools are changing, the ecology of social studies is changing, and social studies needs to be a front runner. And in, I would argue, I think the legacy of NCSS is sadly that social studies has not, and NCSS has not been at the forefront of the change. And I would really like to see us push, to push the field in a direction to address those issues that we're grappling with in our communities, to understand the complexity of the human existence and the complexity of the world in which we live and understanding the divergent points of view that even have have created this polarized context in which we live because we have to figure figure out how we're gonna navigate this. How do we separate our identities from our political identities you know, how do we understand the other if we, you know, much of what, you know, I have conversations with parents uh, about, and like, that's not the social studies I learned, but it's the social studies that my children need to learn. And that kind of messaging is really what we have to do. I mean, we we have to do more as a field, not only to advocate for the change we want to see, but to message out to our communities so that our our communities, our parents, there are partners with us in pushing forward this more complex understanding of social studies. One that, you know, I think has a real value and power to help us um, navigate what the future holds.
1: Thank you so much. And we'll make sure to link that in our show notes for our listeners to take a look at.
0: And both those articles are open access. So we've got them linked and you can read them. All right. Thank you.
2: Thank you. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Michael.
0: Thanks. Now, where can
1: our listeners find you and your work online? Or how can they get in touch with you to to
2: advocate? Oh, well, I would certainly love to hear from them. The best way to contact me is through my email address. It's t Hefner. it's H-E-A-F-N-E-R, at ncss.org and I'm happy to reach out to them, and I'm more than happy to speak with anyone who wants to talk more about what can we do together to improve the state of social studies. And if they want to get involved, I would encourage people to consider applying for committees uh, or looking at checking out their uh, special interest groups, uh, our communities that we have within NCSS, because there's certainly a niche for everyone to find like-minded individuals that share similar work, or similar interests like our psychology community or our elementary educators. Um, There's certainly a space for everyone in NCSS.
1: Create your own little small public around a social studies topic.
2: Yes, and you can, you can do exactly that, like our human rights community.
0: Well, Dr. Hefner, thank you again so much for joining us. We certainly do hope to continue the discussion online. People can send you an email at the email address you provided, which we also have in the show notes, and they'll find you in other spaces. I know you got a Twitter account out there, so maybe they'll tweet to you. Oh, I do.
2: It's T. Hefner, yeah.
0: T. Hefner, yeah, we'll make sure we get that.
2: (laughs) Oh, and they can also tweet out uh, at uh, NCSS Network.
1: Excellent. We are all about sharing the learning at the Visions of Education podcast. If you're doing something fun or creative in education or you just want to chat to see what's going on, Tweet us at Visions of Ed. We're also on Facebook. And if you haven't already, and really, come on, subscribe to Visions of Education Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and really wherever you would like us to be.
0: And you can even be an activist for this podcast, and you can advocate by giving us a five-star review, which helps people find this podcast. That's how Apple's algorithms work. So please do so. And it increases my self-worth absolutely absolutely we would like to thank zach seitz of wiley high school and the university of north texas for his editing skills he puts into these episodes and we should mention on this episode thank you to the national council for social studies for paying zach seitz um it really yeah. helps us keep this thing going you can find me on twitter i'm at dan kretka and i'm at 42 think deep until next time this is the visions of education podcast signing off